Click is a movie with Henry Winkler. And and Christopher Walken. If you guys could give an overly attractive wife. A ten second bear hug to any actor, male actor, who would it be? James Gandolfini. He's dead. (laughs) Yeah. But I know that I can't give him one, so I would like to give him one. I feel like it would be very warm. If he, I mean, he's dead now, so it would be very cold. I also feel like his skeleton, or his grip itself. on the hug, like would just break your spine. But you don't think he's gentle? I like. He was in that movie is, with he uh, is Tony Julie Sperano. Louise Dreyfus. Yeah, said. Yeah, he liked his guacamole. If I, um, right, if I could hug enough said. James Gandolfini, not Sopranos James Gandolfini. That would be like the guy I want to hug. Okay. Yeah. I only ask because Henry Wrinkler is one of those actors for me. You've said but. this before on the podcast. You've literally yeah. said that you think he has. Well, no. A, I, don't, I don't think it was him. It was um, <laughs> Jim Broadbent. He's the guy that I just oh, want to give yeah, a massive too. hug to. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, Nate, Nate, would you pick like an actor from like the 1930s or something? No, because I'd be in the same situation as you. They'd be dead, and I really don't want to go digging in a grave. Um, if they were alive, I mean, that's fine. I mean, well, no, I'm I'm gonna go with Johnny Depp because I feel like he needs that right about now. So Aww, that's so kind of you. I, <laughs> so yeah. like, um, yikes. Okay, well, I, I do have a trivia question as I normally do. Um, what Spencer's the- trivia. Wait. What is with What's this fishy asks a question bullshit that you you, you deleted my graphic? I just want to. He asks a question and, and you, no, and I didn't put delete this it. Um, fish in a princess <laughs> costume over at my duck. Wait, what? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I just made a little graphic that was fishy ask or ducky asks a question and then he just fucking. Oh wow! Yeah, that needs it. to go. Yep, I just had a little free time oh, before the episode, so I I just chose to um, use my Photoshop skills and try to match your Photoshop skills. Come on now. You know um, it's just going to be Nate asks a question, right? And it's just going to be me mixed with a duck and a fish. <laughs> yeah. I just want it like every episode we keep throwing another like really badly photoshopped photo over this and then something we have asked a different question relating to it. I think that would be great. Well, I'm excited for don't. Spencer's question because I'm yeah. going to get it right this week. I hope I so. probably won't. Especially we'll if it's related to this movie. There's no way I'm going to get anything correct. Well, you hit the nail on the head because it absolutely relates to this movie because it always does. Okay. Get the fucking awesome. picture. Um, okay. So, yeah, we just watched The Night of the Hunter this week. This is our episode of it. Uh, so my trivia question pertains to this film. Uh, it stars a man named Robert Mitchum. And he has a lot of acting credits. I don't know if you guys looked at his IMDb, but it's like 130-something credits. It's absurd. So Robert Mitchum provided a lot of narration work towards the end of his career. So what film do you think that he provided the narration work for? We have The Usual Suspects, How Green Was My Valley, Tombstone, and Casino, directed by Martin Scorsese. So, Nate, out of those films, what do you think Robert Mitchum provided his narration for? Tombstone is my final answer, Alex. Okay, Tombstone. You have to if you're gonna if if you're calling Spencer Alex, you have to say what is Tombstone. Okay. So, but I know what Tombstone is. I, well, why, why that, would I ask him? I understand what you're saying, but that's just you're supposed to to answer in the form of a question, just because that's how the game works. If Spencer is in fact Alex Trebek, we'll let it be for now. Thank you. Okay. Um, <laughs> I just said my answer is also tombstone just because i'm i'm guessing you chose this question because that's the only movie of these four that we've talked about on the podcast so i feel like it has to be relevant in some way to our our past movie discussions so i'm and i've never seen the other three movies so i'm gonna go with tombstone as well even though i feel like sam elliott should have narrated everything in that movie but i don't think he did well (laughs) The it's film that Robert wrong. Mitchum did some narration for is Tombstone. Yeah, I know how your mind works. It's Ducky. he was a Western guy. Of course, they're going to bring <laughs> in a guy with his voice to do narration yeah. for a Western. Like I, bonus question for some reason. Oh, um, sorry. <laughs> just, ding, ding, ding. This just came to me. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, since you guys tied, here's a bonus question. 
Um, Robert Mitchum, because he's been in so many movies, like 130-something, as we said, um, he started a film in 1962 or something like that, and then it was remade in the 90s, and he also had a cameo role in that film. And the remake was directed by Martin Scorsese. So what film could that have been? Uh, a 1990s Martin Scorsese film that he had a cameo in that was a remake of a 60s film. That he, that he was in. also in? Yes. Oh! It's Cape Fear. Okay, yeah. Okay. Cape yep, that makes sense. Fear. Yep, now that that all clicks, I remember he was the villain in the original Cape Fear. Okay, that makes Wasn't more sense. was John Travolta in that? No, it is no. Nick Nolte. Oh, I don't Nick know. Nick Nolte plays the dad. Episodes like this make me feel really dumb about movies. <laughs> oh, just, <laughs> like, I just, just feel like I'm John. so... Just, was... I don't know anything. <laughs> when I was writing my notes, I was like, it was shot well. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, I'll take, I'll take I'm just going to go off what you guys say, and I'll, I'll give my thought. We'll see what happens. Hopefully it goes well. All right, I'll well, you guys tied the initial question, but Nate got the bonus question, so <sighs> congratulations. I'm going to give the dub to Nate this evening. Thank you. Um, can I at least have, like, a... Uh, you can have partial credit. A, I mean, yeah, if just like a track, consolation prize. Partial credit, but Nate gets the full point because he gets the bonus okay. question of uh, Cape Fear uh, with, with a lot of hints, but uh, it was a hard question. I, 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 I feel say. like we should have a time limit. Do you see really deserve a win after taking 30 minutes to answer that well, question? Well, that's why we have editing, so I can just... <laughs> right. So I'll okay, ask the question. Enough. It'll just cut to Nate answering Cape Fear, make him look really smart. Um, yeah, but it's gonna be me going. Oh, <laughs> what you can use? You can use this right after. Oh my God, how'd you get that so quickly? Jeez, you're so smart. Um, don't use that. No, I won't. <laughs> um, but yeah, welcome back to Collector's Corner, hosted by us, those movie dudes. It's a show where one Thank of us you. dusts off a film from a physical media collection. We put it in the Blu-ray player or you know Xbox. Series X, whatever we have, but we get together. Nate, you okay? You're fucking. You're Are you okay, bro? <laughs> that was. Terrifying. You look like you were having like an aneurysm or something. <laughs> I was genuinely concerned no. right there. No, I'm. I'm. I'm good. I'm good. Just, you're you choking on a cucumber. Your um, nose is like as bright as a cherry right now. After that, like, did you keep <laughs> all that in? <laughs> I don't know what I did, but continue. Okay, as long as you're fine. I'm just it a little down, bit concerned. You know how sometimes it goes down the wrong pipe? Oh, yeah. Oh, I know. It continued yeah, going down, and I was like, shit, I thought I was going to die, but we're good. We're yep. alive. Sometimes it's just good to feel something, you know? We watch you know, a Blu-ray. it's the first time I've felt happy in years. All right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we watch a Blu-ray, we talk about it, you know, what we liked, what we didn't like, and why we bought the film in the first place. Uh, we're back to Nate's collection this week. He picked a Criterion Blu-ray of a film from 1955. It is The Night of the Hunter. What spine number is this mm. bitch? Yeah, what is spine number? Like 541. So yeah, so Nate, why did you pick The Night of the Hunter for us to watch on this episode? I think I think this movie's amazing. And I just needed another reason to rewatch it. And after watching it this time and then going into detail and all the special features, I was like, holy crap, this movie's amazing. And just knowing everything from behind the scenes, knowing who was involved, like in the making of it and whatnot, like this movie had history behind the camera, in front of the camera. It was just everything that I needed. And so I couldn't have asked for more from this rewatch. Okay, because I remember this was a movie that you were telling me to check out for a while. You were like, oh, you should definitely watch Night of the Hunter. It's kind of creepy. It's very atmospheric. has some cool camera work. And then uh, a friend of mine lent me his Blu-ray criterion of it. I was like, perfect. I think I watched it when I was down in hmm. Atlanta. And I was like very impressed because I didn't know what to really expect. But it had some high praise. And uh, I was... Yeah, I was kind of blown away by just, like, especially how this movie was shot and how it looked and kind of just, like, how the creepy vibes I got from it. Um, but, yeah, this was one that I was kind of, I was like, all right, I'll, I'm down to revisit this one when you said that you were going to pick it. And, John, I know this is one that, you know, it's 1955, you know. It's, it's a yeah, movie that you know, these, seen. Bumblebee are, has uh, not come out yet. Yeah, this was way before Haley Steinfeld was born, um, and 
might even be before her parents were were born into this world but um not that that's that's kind of irrelevant here but yeah this isn't my wheelhouse it's it's not um although i do kind of like films influenced by film noir style which i'm not saying this is like a full-on film noir but there's definitely some to be said here with the um the creative style of the film but you know i think nate's introduced me to enough of these movies that i'm not gonna just like instantly go in with a bad and negative mindset i i do get excited especially when it's only an hour and a half long so um and uh, and also at the same time this is for movie thong so i'm i'm here for it i was excited i even posted on her story as i was watching it and i think he liked it so that's a win in my it, book yeah. <laughs> did I he guess, repost it I well he did story. yeah i was like oh, nice. all right it's uh, like there you go i mean it's uh it's his profile i, I made an experience it. <laughs> it's just yeah it's and the- i went when the when the shot of his profile, I was like, I knew it was coming because they were in a room. Like, okay, it's probably like about to happen right here. Um, and they actually kind of re they do the same shot a couple times in different rooms when he's like standing over people. It's actually re- very haunting. But um, when it happened, I actually like kind of like got up and cheered a little bit. <laughs> it's like there yeah. it is. It's, it's, it's yeah, whatever. Once upon a time in Hollywood, with DiCaprio's like, oh, yeah, oh, here it is. Here. <laughs> that's it. That's it. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I mean, I, I, there's definitely some some excitement to go ahead and check this out. It wasn't just another black and white movie that I was like, oh god, another one of Nate's choices because I'm kind of over that at this point. I've been doing this for th- three years now. So it's not your first um, rodeo for sure. Um, no, wait, I've been there, done that, and uh, sure. Yeah, why not? Check it out. If if you've never heard of Night of the Hunter, it is written and directed by Charles Lawton. The cast is Robert Mitchum, Shelley Winters, and Billy Chapin, and that's the kid who plays John in the film, who kind of resembled like a little bit of Ryan Gosling. If you ever see young pictures of young Ryan Gosling, this kid kind of looks like him. That's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> but I was like, oh, I'll give you, I'll, you know what? I'll give you that. Um, but the plot. In the Deep South, a serial-killing preacher hunts two young children who know the whereabouts of a stash of money. Has an 8.0 on IMDb, 95% on Rotten Tomatoes with a 90% audience score, and Letterbox 4.2. So, critical acclaim all around the board. Uh, yeah. Night of the Hunter. <sighs> this is a fun movie. <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> the most dramatic like exhale, and then this was a fun. Jeez. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah. Is it fun? I mean, I don't know if that's the best way to describe it. It's it's pretty dark, and I mean, I at the time, I'm sure this was very chilling and almost it's, scary for audiences. It's 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 fun in the sense that it's 1955. It's kind of a low budget film, and they were trying. They were ambitious with it, with what they were trying to do with the camera work and the lighting, especially. Uh, and the the performances and stuff, and just watching that kind of play out, and especially towards like the second half of the film when it is uh, the the Robert Mitchum's character hunting the children. It's kind of like on the soundstage at night. Just mm-hmm. a very Cat interesting, f- cool mm-hmm. shots. So like, it's fun to see all that come to life, especially yeah, it's the year nineteen fifty five. Um, but yeah, I mean the story it's 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 pretty depressing and sad yeah that's the thing. I, I also i'm pretty sure i said the same thing about prisoners I'm like oh it's fun i'm like well it's not fun at all but it it's fun <laughs> in a sense like it's it's just an entertaining movie to watch which i could totally see this being the same mindset um it, it, there is scenes that it's, it's fun for me looking at it from like in 2022 72 wait seven, 1955 this came out or yeah yeah mm-hmm. so like 70 ish years later just like it does have that kind of like 50s style where they don't really know how to film like genuine action scenes. So like when he's chasing them upstairs, he's like, ooh, ooh. like he's kind of like robotic looking like where he's like, you're not trying to actually get them, but he's trying to get them. And it's stuff like that that actually kind of makes you laugh. It reminded me of the uh, like the the old uh, King Kong movie that we watched. It was like very comical. That was like to the highest extent possible that one was, but this one is like it's actually getting there in terms of like actual chase scenes in a sense because like there was the the tension the parallel action in this movie is very elementary in terms of what we're used to these days that it's 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 a good stepping stone for what films are inspired based on but when you look at it now it's like okay they're trying (laughs) they're trying but it's entertaining you know I mean, there are some, and I kind of forgot about this until this rewatch, but like, there there definitely are some campy elements to the movie. And mm-hmm. it is, for me, I mean, we can, you know, figure this out. 
uh, I don't know if it's intentional or not. I mean, just some of the, like some of the editing choices, like with some of the reaction shots. And uh, there was one scene uh, towards the end when there was a shooting, and then there was a reaction to the shooting, and like runs off. And it was like fucking hilarious the way it was presented. Like just some of the way I think yeah those scenes were like so presented on screen. Yeah, it was bit. very over the top. And had yeah. some silly moments and just some of the, like, the editing, the reaction shots too. It works, but like the very simplistic story of this this uh, determined, dark, sadistic preacher trying to find this ten thousand dollars <laughs> that was equivalent to what I think a hundred thousand dollars in like today's age for that yeah, time. Yeah, very. Uh, much oh, more so that okay. That's. So, I mean, it was a good I amount can of money. Understand why he was after it then? Because I was like, you're doing all this for ten grand? Yeah. Like. And the kid let it slip in that one scene. He's like, oh, I'll never tell you. And he's like, tell me what? Ooh. And he was just on from that moment. It's like, and I'm, it started. I'm That's when to... it all yeah. just started I'm going to find that money. Uh, but yeah, the way yeah. He, the, what he puts the kids through is what's the most like disturbing part of the film. And it works. It's, it's creepy. Yeah, because... Oh, go ahead, Nate. Oh, no. I was just going to say that like this movie hooks me from the beginning with uh the woman at the end and the kids up in the sky and she's telling that story where she's like beware of false prophets it's very religious but i hear her tell that story and i'm like oh god this is like the perfect prologue that's gonna lead us into this and just the robert mitchum i don't think anyone else could have played this role and played it to this caliber because he was stern but he could also pass as this nice guy preacher because he had that story of love and hate and that was kind of his go-to line and you kind of see him in the movie when he tries to do it and then they overlook it they're like ah we can kind of look past these tricks but this movie would reel people in He's exactly. like, that's like the first thing he would like try to let people see his hands. Cause that's like just his like story to like get people to like accept him and look past like that. He's clearly trying to do something a little bit sketchy, you know? Yeah. And he, you know, that was an interesting little, uh, hook for people to be like, Oh, this guy's pretty chill. I guess his performance the- is excellent in this movie. Like he is like, you just said it perfectly. Like he can play that, terrifying part but also that like sweet fathery figure or like the neighborly husband he just plays that like dual personality he can switch really quickly too like the scene that um i forget the name it had a really silly name the neighbor like mrs sink or something was that her name mrs the uh spoon mrs spoon okay yeah yeah i see spoon she like uh comes in and she's like concerned about the children because like he tries to get them out of the basement and they don't respond and then she comes in and then they come up the stairs and then he's like very i don't know he's all like super kind and then like once she leaves it's like he's he's ready to like he literally pulls out a switchblade in front of this in front of john and like is threatening to kill him in front of his daughter or in front of his sister and uh like dude he he's a very almost like monstrous character at times and you just said it right there like, this movie has so much, like, classic universal monster impression on it. Like, when you said him going up the stairs, that was kind of funky. Yeah. Like, oh, he almost <laughs> looks like the Frankenstein monster as he was, like, walking to get them. Like, with his arms outstretched and mm-hmm. very unhuman way he climbs the stairs. Um, But that scene where she goes to visit to, like, see if everything's okay... That's one of my favorite like sequences because it starts with him outside and he's like leaning against a tree and he's like, children. And then that iris zooms in and they're in the basement and you can see their heads in the basement as he's walking towards the house. Just, oh man, it's terrifying. It's almost like, almost like Hansel and Gretel in a way where it's like, you've got the brother and sister trying to escape from this monster in that case, it's a witch, but here Robert Mitchum just plays the most terrifying person. And like with the opening, beware of false prophets. It's just it it works. It works so well together. You bring up a good point with like I I I hardly think of uh, like I wonder how this guy was inspired the director because this was his one and only film that he ever directed. I I heard today, mm-hmm. 
Um, so it's like, cause you think of how this film inspired other filmmakers, but he must've been inspired by those like early monster films in a sense and the film noir and stuff like that. So you can definitely see that seeing that this is his only movie and it is beautiful cinematically and the way that he kind of directs his actors as well. You can, you can see that whatever he's actually inspired by. Nate, when you just said that, yeah, it has that like that universal monsters feel. I never thought about that, mm-hmm. but when you said that, it completely clicked. Yeah, because you have that the Frankenstein of like him, like you're walking up the stairs, mm-hmm. and then him in like the water swimming after them is like creature of the Black Lagoon. Him stalking oh, them yeah. at night in <laughs> sense is like the Dracula, just he's a vampire or something. But like, it, I can see it in, like in, in in a way. But Charles Lawton, the director. He's an actor. He's been an actor in like mm-hmm. 64 movies, apparently. He's an Oscar-winning actor. Um, oh. And I guess the, he worked with the uh, the cinematographer of The Night of the Hunter, worked with Orson Welles, and I guess he got, went on record and said that there's only two directors I've ever worked with who completely understood light, and that was Charles Lofton and uh, Orson Welles. And you Speaking can completely light. see why when you watch Night of the Hunter because the lighting in this movie, like I'm surprised we didn't watch clips in, uh, clips of this movie in advanced lighting in college or like design of cinema or something because it's perfect in almost every scene. It's it's so cool to watch. It's one of those movies that genuinely benefits from black and white too because there's such like stark contrast in every shot. Like Nate has. We do this every episode, but basically Nate has a TV behind him and the movie is playing in the background. Um, and like you see uh, Robert, Robert Meacham. Yeah, Robert Meacham. Yeah. And there's like a shot of a woman lying on the bed and she's like illuminated and everything, everything else is like fading from gray to black. And it, it really just it's it's beautiful to watch. Like it it's actually surprising this being his one and only directorial feature that everything looks so amazing and like some of the shots that really like blew me away the most was when the kids started to be kind of like going down the river in their boat and all the stills of them going by and there was like almost like the ted 2 where it was like perspectives from different animals (laughs) do you remember that scene where it's like a perspective of like a lobster and like it's from like a penguin for some reason in the (laughs) middle of like wait but what i don't know why it's reminding me of that of this yeah like when the owl but, like, it was, was like, like looking at the it was rabbit. a rabbit, an owl, a sheep. Like it was like it reminded me of that a little bit. But, I don't know if, um, okay. but cinematically it looked amazing. I'm just saying it's kind of the same kind of thing in terms of like <laughs> the uh shot by shot, it went from like different animals. <laughs> just like that stupid scene in Ted too. Um yeah, but it looked it looked great. Yeah. Yeah, it looked great. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. Yeah, predator prey. Did you guys know that Robert Mitchum was only 37 when he made this movie? So he was 10 years older than us. I do us. now. Wow. Yes. And I, for I some reason, years, I just, I feel like I look at that. him and I'm like, he looks older than he is, obviously. Much older. And just being able to see him perform mm. and just the way he does this role. And I can only imagine what kind of actor he was to work with because he knew his lines to a T he like never really had a problem and he could deliver the same line perfectly every single time. And it was when he started working with the kids where he'd have a little bit of a harder time because they were less experienced. So that was kind of a learning. The kids weren't bad. I no, as they, a person who is my favorite is, kids performances. You hate child performances. Yeah, I hate child performances. This has some good ones. No issue. I thought John especially like he had some scenes where he was really shining um cuz he was almost like especially when he they kind of get picked up by this this other family that's all women and like young young daughters and stuff like that. Um he had some scenes that he really shined with uh with the older lady. Mm-hmm. Um he does, and yeah, he he was great. He does a good job because uh, you can definitely see like how he's trying to be very strong, like for his sister, and just like yeah. be the leader of like, the family now that his father and I mean mother as well. And that scene when uh, she marries this crazy preacher, played by Robert Mitchum. What's his name? Harry Powell. Is that his Harry name? Harry Powell. Harry Powell. Yeah. Um. Well, I mean, spoiler. He kills the mom, <laughs> and that scene is kind of intense. Cause That's like, the terrifying scene, and mm-hmm. it was it all took place on just a tiny little sound stage with the backdrop, and that's all it really was. 
was just they what cut you away saw from it, it though, was. didn't they? In and so the scene, that's they cut what away. I find the most disturbing part too, because he, as like he's going down with the knife, they cut to just the children in bed, just not knowing that their mom is just upstairs being slaughtered. Because you can hear the, yeah. the commotion going on upstairs, uh, but they're just laying in bed, and I think he wakes up and looks the, at the, the more, car driving off when he goes and dumps the body, but. The more haunting shot, I thought, was when the fisherman... I thought that shot was so cool, by the way. It's like you see the hook in the water, and then you see it getting hooked onto the, the car and everything, and then he's, like, struggling to pull it up, and then he looks over, and he sees the body just, like, kind of under the water. Like, that was a, actually a really cool sequence, yeah. and it was, like, almost a little bit, like... It was a little bit campy, but it's it was actually really cool how they, how they did that, because, like, you would never see a movie do that type of sequence nowadays like it was actually kind of like silly when the when the hook was down there and stuff it's a scene but like Nate. it's yeah literally the scene on the movie that nate's watching right now um because they developed the uncle character really well i think because he wasn't in it a lot but they established that he's a drunk and so just like when, Amber Heard. when he sees the car at the bottom of the river he doesn't do anything about it because he's the town drunk. He's afraid that if he says something, not he's going to get pinned with it. So that leads to the kids not having that adult figure to go to. Because when John tries, he's got a sister who fell asleep on the bed and a drunk uncle who won't do anything to help. So it's like all of the adults that they care about don't exist anymore. Yeah. And that makes it even scarier when it's just a kid, a kid versus an adult, and they don't have anyone to help them. Yeah, it's this movie has just so so much, and for being terrifying, it's also darkly comedic. And Charles Lawton wanted it, it just to have that tension, but also like, you know, sometimes when you get so tense, you kind of have to laugh to like, oh, haha, like I feel a little bit better. He, yeah. he knew this. he was going to need people to do that. But yeah, just so many things that they did to like pull off the way that this looks. Um, the scene where he's riding the horse and John sees him from the barn. That's, That's probably funny. my That's... favorite or second favorite shot because, you know, they they pulled that off. They put a dwarf on a on a I horse. read about that. Yeah, they put a little yeah. person on a horse uh, for the, like, yep. the perspective. What the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> so I, that it, I didn't know if it was true so that he wasn't really far away, but enough so that the perspective looked that way. And yeah, that's funny. I I kind of relate it felt it reminded me of like Halloween where just like the kids are trying to run away, but this just inevitable monster is just following you. And it's because the first time I watched it, I remember it specifically because my jaw dropped. I was watching and I saw the kids falling asleep and the music's playing. And then John just he wakes up. He's rested and he he thinks he's gotten away and he looks out and then just over the horizon, you just hear leaning, leaning. And that's just it's it makes my hair stand up like, oh, crap, he's not safe. And it leads to a great second into third act that's just as thrilling. And then you meet those characters, that orphanage that they get picked up in. It's just like... Yeah, it does have like a Michael uh, Myers, Jason Voorhees like feels. And just like, there's just threat out there looming. Like, or like, or like it follows. That's going to catch up to mm-hmm. you and going to kill you. So you're just always going to be on the run. And that was the kids in this sense. Um all he's like a he's honestly ends up being like a monster without a mask because he well his mask is kind of his personality where he's able to kind of just like switch things on and off but well his mask is the preacher yeah persona. that's exactly that because like, people just look oh he's a preacher he's not a threat but obviously behind closed doors he's a he's a murderer um but yeah i think that that scene that you mentioned it was by far my my favorite scene i think cinematically and just in terms of just being really overall just creepy and unsettling is when he he does kind of like the silhouette of him is across the horizon as he's like like they have the cool thing of how the moon kind of switches to show the progression of the evening Mm -hmm. and then he just kind of trickles his way across the shot and it's it's for again like i keep saying like it's a for a first time filmmaker it's it's very impressive the way he was able to kind of just like compose his shots and stuff like that because it was it was really really cool 
And sadly, the reason Charles Lawton didn't make another film is because of how poorly this movie did at the box office. They just hmm. had terrible um, PR and uh, exposure, like little to no exposure at that time. Um advertising they didn't really take advantage of so this movie just kind of fell by the wayside and who knows what charles lawton would have done because he i think he won his oscar for playing henry the eighth mm-hmm. i think i'm not 100 percent sure but he's one of the greats and i can only imagine what he would have done if he had made 10 films if he was like a a kubrick or something that only picks certain films that he likes because he loved this book and I believe, oh no, I was going to say the guy who wrote the book wrote the screenplay, but he didn't. But it's basically, that's what you're going to get. And uh, it's just creepy. Just thinking about some of these scenes, like having it on in the background, I just find myself watching it. It definitely would have been cool to see him direct more projects. Because, I mean, especially hearing the cinematographer say how much he understood lighting and just seeing the movie is just proof of that. Uh, so that was fun to kind of revisit in a sense of just kind of see the shots again, uh, and appreciate them. But what I completely forgot about, uh, and then on this rewatch, I was reminded of was when we get to the third act and you're introduced to the woman who runs the orphanage. Uh, her name is, uh, like Mrs. Cooper, I think. Yes. Um, yep. I completely forgot that she is a total badass. She is an awesome <laughs> character because <laughs> when she pulls that shotgun out Gish. on Harry Powell, She's Robert awesome. Mitchum, when he walks up to the porch, he's got like the tattoos, love and hate, and then he just like <laughs> when he sees the uh, oh no, it was um, the girl, the young, the sister, uh, Ruby, not Ruby, uh, it was Pearl, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, she runs when she sees Harry. She runs to him and like certain like embraces him. And then the the son John was just like fuck off. He's not my dad. And then he well, pulls the yeah, fucking switchblade on him and just like chases him underneath the porch and just comes out with a shotgun. Yeah, and she points badass. it like against yeah. his head and he looks up. He's like, oh. And then that, that brings me a... to my favorite scene of the film is uh, later on in that night. She's just sitting there with the shotgun in the rocking chair and it's a silhouette. And then he is just outside sitting the on the the tree stump with the with the cigarette and he's just doing that like leaning or whatever that song is or whatever and then they have that like duet at one point um where she's singing lean on jesus where he's just saying leaning yeah and it's it's just it was a cool scene. contrast the, is, yeah. is that's the love and apparent. hate good yeah. and evil yeah i Look, guess this was, was uh the same song was used in uh true grit the coen brothers film they've been really inspired by this movie I have not seen True Grit, but it, this exact same song, I don't know if it was Robert Meacham's version, but maybe like the original version was played in the movie. Um, but like this movie, including the tattoos on his on his knuckles, have been used in pop culture, in films and video games like a lot, actually. Like, I don't know if this was like, I, I'm pretty sure this is the very first inclination of like that kind of like love hate on the knuckles in filmography oh, probably this was the 50s i mean like, yeah this is when exactly. it started to take off i feel like there's got to be millions of people with that exact tattoo on their hands because it's just so just the contrast is is so obvious i wonder how um, many inmates it, have that tattoo yeah <laughs> think about absolutely. it absolutely i'm it's probably so common like um but that scene was like she is an, a really great character, and I guess I I really didn't expect when they came to the movie. It's like that was really the shift of the film that I really liked. That's when it kind of like picked up for me because I don't know what it was, but it did really feel like a a somewhat long movie for only an hour and thirty two minutes. It did feel like I felt the length, but from like that scene on when they pick him up and she's just like I'm gonna take care of you guys, like just just start like doing your work around the house, blah blah blah, like. I was I was that's when I really got into it overall. Like there were great scenes before that, but that's that's when the film ended up picking up for me. And then towards the very very end, when they're walking through the street during the protest of um, the character who's now been incarcerated, uh, it's kind of got this like weird sound of music vibe to it, with like the family walking like on the street with like the protest going on in the background, but like they're walking to yeah. like the beat of a score or something, and it's like kind of like 
campy and just like fun. It's like what is happening here? Like this is the tone shifted, but uh, what was so? Uh, what yeah. the hell happened there? Where it, it felt like the movie just like it was missing a whole section because they just cut to Christmas morning. I don't know if I missed something, but like they were running away from an angry mob, and then all of a sudden it was Christmas morning. They, just they weren't running luck. from the mob. Yeah, they the mob was, the was mob going for... after Powell. Okay, because to me it felt like the mob was going after them. The one scene that doesn't quite work for me is the scene when Robert, spoiler, Robert Mitchum finally gets arrested. Uh, he comes out of the barn, kind of just like limps and then just falls over. And then John just goes, no, 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 no. And yeah, he just throws the money. He's like, take scene. it, take it. And I'm just like, really? After all this, <laughs> that happens? That scene ca- felt the performance so forced weak, to me. But yeah, I don't, that scene just kind of, yeah, I don't know. It, just, it doesn't work for me, that one scene out of the whole movie. That one scene was just Well, like, yeah, oh. because the whole movie, it's like, oh, you're protecting this thing that your father gave you. His father's like, do not tell anybody. Do not tell anybody about this hiding spot. Like, this money is for you. Like, this is so, this sacrifice was worth it. And all of a sudden, there's this really mediocre acting scene of him just, like, giving it all up. And it's like, why well, am I sitting here watching this entire film for you to act like a fucking child right now? He had Sorry. To, <laughs> he had to hold that secret in. The entire movie, and now finally, when he's one hundred percent safe, he can let go of the secret that he's got, because that's what he's got to keep the entire time. And plus, yeah. he's seeing a man who's acting as his father being taken down by the police when his father was taken down by the police. This was, I think, just like a cathartic release. Where he was On just like, paper, Here, take that- the money. That totally works. Like, if in terms of, like, if I was idea. reading that in a novel, yes, that's great. But the way that it was executed in the film was not good. Yeah, the, in my, and I'm totally in agreement with Spencer there. It was, it was just the like. The performance and editing really? of the scene just felt very strange to me. Um, yeah. And I remember, I remember I thinking like this when I first watched it, too. Being like, oh, shit. that's interesting. Uh, and then it cuts yeah. off to the Christmas morning. And Mrs. Cooper is doing, like, a monologue to the audience about children. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> like, children. Like, they need love, and they're amazing. Or, She's like Mrs. Peregrine's home yeah, for peculiar like, children, what or like, whatever the fuck. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, Nate, you were the one that had the Criterion Blu-ray of this. Uh, when I first watched it, I believe it was the Criterion Blu-ray, and I think the picture quality was fine. Uh, I watched this on Pluto TV, which is a free streaming website that has TV channels and movies, and uh, there was ads during the film. <laughs> so, uh, Oh, dear God. Yeah, it wasn't, wasn't, wasn't the best, and the quality wasn't okay, but I'd seen the film before, so it didn't really matter too much. I was more just watching it just to pick up on stuff that I didn't remember and whatnot but uh yeah how was the transfer was there any cool in the uh, on special features i mean what's going on so yes this movie looks amazing um it's actually one of the criterions that during the sale it's five dollars more because it comes with a second disc (gasps) two 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 discs yep two whole blu-ray discs that i can see through when i hold the core on vhs what no, definitely <laughs> not. Definitely not. Um, but no, this one has so many special features. It has two hours and 39 minutes worth of just behind the scenes takes. So it goes through like a lot of the pivotal scenes where you hear Charles Lawton in the background reading the scenes leading up to the lines that the person's going to give. And like he has Shelly Winters deliver this line where it's like two lines, but she he has her do it like forty times in a row just so that he gets the right affliction, the right enunciation, the diction that's gonna get the point across best. And he comes from a theater background, so it's gonna be pretty intense. But there's interviews with Stanley Cortez, who was the cinematographer. He shot um, the Magnificent Ambersons for Orson Welles, uh, Shot Corridor, Samuel Fuller, Fritz Lang, a bunch of different influences on this movie. Um, but they're, the inside booklet has a ton of essays and everything about this. 
but it's just a treasure trove of anything you could want to know about this movie. It has interviews. They even have a skit on the Ed Sullivan show where it was Peter Graves and Shelley Winters doing like an extended scene where she visits him in jail. And you kind of see them chit-chat before everything happens. But the transfer is amazing. The black and white is so deep, so rich. Um, the shadows and everything, they just add another element to this movie. Right behind and you. Oh, sorry. That was the just, shot. Yeah. Just being able to see Robert Mitchum work and, and how he was with everyone on set, how Charles Lawton was. He was very... I don't want to say strict because everyone, I think, had a very positive time on set with them, but he knew what he wanted. So, like, he would do things dozens of I, times just to get the point across. I read that he clashed with the the young actress who played the sister, Pearl, or something. She, I heard that she, she was an asshole. She's fucking, like, five. What? Yeah. She was legit five. And <laughs> well, I heard what the they, hell? I read that like he screamed at her and she like cried and they actually used that as a reaction shot in the film. Like they kept rolling on it because they're like, Oh, let's just use that. I don't know. <laughs> like, oh, that's was that the shot in the kitchen maybe with the with a switchblade? There's one she was... scene where she cries. Yeah. There's one scene where I saw a tear it's, go down. It must be that scene because when that was he very goes impactful. Can't you get that through your head, you silly, disgusting little wretch? Yeah. Yep, and she, that yeah, was the like, tears going oh down. my god, I was like, he just said that to a fucking child. <laughs> but, yeah, she just, like, she was good. Like, she did pretty decent on set, but she was very, like, she had to read off a paper, I'm pretty sure, because I was watching some of the outtakes, and she would, like, look down and then deliver, look down and then um, deliver. Been so it's kind of hard to hide. Five years old. Five years old. <laughs> Um, and th- that probably was the case, but Charles Lawton loved, uh, Billy Chapin cause he came from an acting family. And so you can tell he saw all of the potential that he had. So he was very patient with him. Um, but he was also stern, like he knew what he wanted to convey. And so he eventually would get it done, but he just seemed like a, amazing person to just learn from because Shelley Winters was like a student of his and Robert Mitchum's a legend. Did, uh, but did they ever other... discuss the horrendous aerial shots that were in the beginning? Dude, no. what was that? So I was so distracted the shots when that happened, were like, but it's unbiased. So. Shaking. <laughs> it was but like so that, bad. It's the it 50s. I hope they didn't pay too much for like the helicopter pilot and like to rent the helicopter to get those shots because it was it, those were brutal. I mean, it's a low budget. And there was no stabilization of guarantee, so it's just like, and it was probably just it's not film. Uh, <laughs> it's like Stanley Cortez just going like hanging out of a helicopter okay, trying to get a shot of the like we got we rented happen. this thing for thirty minutes. We got to get these shots. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but it was so distracting. I thought I was it was like, funny. I, I completely forgot about it. I was like, oh my god, that is just giving me a fucking headache. But okay. We're going to go with it. I did want to mention that to you. I thought that was so okay. funny. Like that the, for the fifties, it's like, it's, if anything at this point, it's just nostalgia to be like, wow, the fact that they even got aerial shots is so cool. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even though they were terrible. <laughs> and now you can just get 4k yeah. stunning stabilized shots with a device that's From like no a $200 drone. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Anyways. Um, all right. So, uh, final fucking thoughts in a grade. You want me to go? You want me to go first here? Yes. No. Okay. Yes. I figure mainstream boy should go first on the very non-mainstream film. Um. Yeah. I mean, I think I was uh, I was impressed with this one. I think over over time watching these kind of like black and white classic films, um, I've become more accustomed to going in with a positive mindset and looking at it from a either a filmmaker's perspective or just over an overall like movie lover's perspective. And I think there's a lot to really like here. The story is at its roots. Like you could say it's it's generic and basic and and whatnot and it's it's actually very based in uh protestant religion which is not something i'm familiar with so again it's not really a film that's made for me back in the 50s it was probably something that people related to a lot more and could actually understand because i think for me it was just a little bit confusing um in terms of that aspect of the movie because it is a very central part of the movie um, it's like with the songs they're singing and kind of just like the original, the overall beliefs of the characters. 
Um, so I found that a little bit distracting. Um, but I do think that the movie is, it's, it has a lot of tension. It's shot very well. It's beautiful to watch. The music is good. And I do think that the, uh, the main antagonist was, was phenomenal in the movie. I think he was great. For some reason, it did feel very long for me. And I don't know what, if that was just like, because it's just not a movie that's made for me, but it, it felt like a very long hour and 32 minutes personally. Maybe on a second watch, it wouldn't feel like it was that long, but um, I felt the length. But I think that overall, like it was, it was good, and I can totally understand why this has inspired modern day filmmakers. Um, it's it's a great film to look at, and the story is good. So I'm gonna go. I'll give it a three and a half out of five. I think I think it was, it was good. It was entertaining. Once it really picked up, I was like, okay, like I'm into this. Um, but there, there's definitely some nitpicks to be had. Absolutely. There's some, there's some mistakes, but this being his first ever film that he made, like we've seen like Mike Flanagan make terrible movies and they weren't even his first movie. So this is an impressive feat in filmmaking for somebody who is an actor, you know I mean? There's, there's a lot to be had here. That was very impressive. I thought we we had a rule that we weren't allowed to speak of absentia again, but um, I but I, I but I'm giving this filmmaker a uh, a compliment due to how John, bad John, Mike Flanagan's John, absentia John, was. John, John, you are sorry. You are damn it. I ruined it. I'm so sorry, Nate. That was meant to be a compliment. At least Doug sorry even it. brought it up to begin um, with. That stupid fucking tunnel. Yeah, the little jump scare it's in the closet. Creepy. What are you talking cute. about? It's so spooky. Um. Yeah, so I was very pleasantly happy to revisit The Night of the Hunter. Uh, I really liked it when I first watched it, and I really liked it on this rewatch. Uh, I think I found more things to kind of, yeah, like nitpick or kind of like, I don't know, make fun make fun of a little bit as we did in the episode. But uh, there's just so much to appreciate. I mean, with the cinematography, with the directorial debut that is just so solid, has an amazing central performance from... Uh, Robert Mitchum, w- while also having great supporting casts uh, with the kids and stuff like that, they were great. Yeah, this is just one that I could see myself picking up on Criterion at some point, uh, maybe during the sale sometime. So I'm going to go four out of five. That's what I gave it on the first watch, and it is what I am matching on the rewatch. It's a great movie. It's it's one of those films where it's like when I write down on, on like, if I'm talking about the, I usually will do like over, like original thoughts, positives negatives in quotes and then like and then overall thoughts but like for me it's not negatives it's like nitpicks because it's not something that i can personally be like wow i hated that part of the film it's just like little things that just like didn't sit right with me as a as a 27 year old watching it in 2022 it just doesn't work for me so it's not like it it's not like the film did anything wrong it's just just stuff that doesn't translate for me as a human being so this movie is it's just so good. I loved it this time around. And just learning about this movie and all of the different things going on behind the scenes and how the characters got like into character and the process of them making it. This movie is just one of those ones that I, like, I could watch it over and over again because I can't do that with a lot of classic movies, but I feel like I could with this one just because the themes are pretty straightforward. I loved the over-the-top music. Like, whenever Robert Mitchum's character was involved, it was just this orchestral, like, oh, yep, this is your bad guy villain, and you know it. But just beautiful movie to look at. Great performances and some good child performances, especially for the 50s, was pretty impressive. I'm giving it a a 4.5 out of 5. This is, I think, my third or fourth time watching it. Um, and I could, I'm going to continue to watch it just because it has that rewatch value for me. Just Robert Mitchum's performance is just, it's very hard to shake because he's just so creepy. Like the way he just says children, like he's leaning and yeah. And he's just slowly pursuing them. It's just, he was an original boogeyman. Yeah, and I'll give you that. I'll, I'll kind of end it like that. He just—he was the boogeyman. Not only the boogeyman, but he married their fucking mom. Like, jeez, mm-hmm. man. Like, you can't get any closer to a family just to a literally 
yeah, he, he married her after two days of meeting them. That's crazy. What is uh, their mom's stupid, by the way? Um, yeah, very, that's my opinion. very, very, very. Yeah. But Shelly Winters, yeah. she's a two time Oscar winner. So, not to rip on 50s women, but like, I feel like that is something a 1950s woman would do mm-hmm. to marry mm-hmm. a strange preacher man that just kind of like shows up after he gets out of prison just to. I don't know. Just because he's a preacher. Just because he's a preacher. Like, come on. She also like, put up geez, no fight man. when he was going to murder her. She was like, all right. Yeah, fine. she's like, all right. Cool. Yeah, I guess it's the end. Like, she whatever. was converted. Yeah. <laughs> uh, fuck, it pissed me off. All right. Interesting. Well, yeah, that was Night of the Hunter. Uh, Movie-thon in particular. Leave a comment on this post. What? Why is Robert Mitchum your profile picture? Let us know. Uh, you comment on a yeah, lot I of posts. Yeah, really like I would really like, like to know in particular detailed. why. Uh, Robert Mitchum is your profile picture on Instagram, which you don't seem like you post a lot. Uh, we do look at your profile. Um, but yeah, no. Uh, <laughs> uh, let, us let us know why posts you like Night like of the Hunter so much. And if uh, anyone else listening to it want to share your thoughts, uh, yeah, go to our Instagram, at this movie dudes. That's where you can find us. And next week will uh, will be my movie. We're back to me. So um, it'll either be based on your votes and i guess a collection of our votes as well uh in the polls on our instagram um it'll either be nicholas cage's knowing or brendan fraser's the mummy so quite a change of pace from what we just talked about on this episode but i think that um (laughs) i don't know i just think it's i want to pick a movie that like isn't so insanely critically acclaimed that it would just be fun to talk about so and these are just Movies that are entertaining and it'll it'll make for good discussion. So I'm I'm excited to talk about either of these films, whichever one ends up winning. Curious to know which one does win. So yeah, vote on that poll. Uh, I have never seen the Mummy, and Nate has never seen Knowing. So uh, perfect. Yeah, we'll see what happens. But that'll <laughs> I've be, seen both many times. That'll be the next episode. Yeah. Um. And yeah. Uh. Find us. Uh. Wherever you get your podcasts, just type in those movie dudes, and I'm sure we're on there. Uh, leave us a review. Give us five stars. Nothing lower. Has to be five. Send us money. Anchor.fm slash those movie dudes. Yeah, you can. You can you can support the show for 99 cents a month. Uh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> By all means. Please do that. Um, we need money. Or if, if anyone out there would like an authentically autographed clown nose that Nathan <laughs> himself wore in a college video, I will auction this off to the highest bidder. Okay, gentlemen. Yeah, you imagine if you just started simple. signing random stuff in your room and sold it as at auction to our listeners? That would be Maybe actually make us like hey, listeners. Would you like a signed half full Advil sample bottle? <laughs> Dude, that's bucks. like a ten dollar purchase at like a gas station. Why do you have that Advil bottle? Jeez. It was it was for Christmas. is life and i just walk away we are ducky exactly i walk away we are ducky Um, chop your arm off